introduce the, uh, the message this way this morning. Um, we're in a series called Something Better. Um, we've asked uh, for a couple of weeks now um, that question, do, do you want something better in your life? Do you want, because there is something better, and, and I stated this way, and I'll continue to state it this way, this is not a, hey, just because you say it, a name it or claim it uh, type of better, but I will guarantee you that if you or I or any other person would give their life give their lives to Jesus, it would be better. Um, for the past two Mondays, I have been challenged and also uh, reminded that the Christian life is not a, an inward focus or an inward turn. It is all about looking out. Past few Mondays, I've taken the opportunity. It's not that I had the opportunity. I've taken the opportunity because you and I uh, also have numerous opportunities. But for a few hours on a Monday afternoon, we have gone out just door to door in Northwood Hills neighborhood. And as we knock on the door, Somebody comes to the door, here is the question. The question is, after we introduce ourselves, hey, if God could do a miracle in your life, if he could do a miracle in your life or in your family's life today or this week, what would that be? Those that answer the door, it's uh, kind of taken aback. They were not expecting that question, more than likely. And then they would say something. And whatever that is, I ask, or whoever's with me asks, could I pray for you about that? We pray. Then we ask this question. Do you have just a moment that I could tell you my story about how God changed my life? And uh, two Mondays ago, um, I went out with two other guys. And y'all will think this is funny because I was reluctant to go out and do this, as y'all might have been reluctant in the past to do this. But here's how I know God has a sense of humor, all right? Sense of humor, jokes on Brian, all right? So here's the deal. First house that we go to, my friend Drew knocks on the door, nobody's at home, nobody answers. So guess what? Second house we go to, Drew doesn't have to knock on the door. It's somebody else's turn. So Colin knocks on the door. Car's there, garage door's open. I'm like, all right, Colin's going to have to talk. Guess what? Nobody comes to the door third door, somebody's got to knock on it. So guess who gets to knock on it? Me. Somebody's at the door. I was like, why? I'm just coming along with Colin and Drew. Fourth house, we knock on. Nobody's there. Fifth house, we knock on. Nobody's there. Sixth house, we knock on. Guess who knocks? Guess who has to talk? Seventh house, nobody's there. Eighth house, nobody's there. Ninth house, guess whose turn it is again? Right here. Who gets to talk? This guy. <laughs> Finally, about house number 
10 or 11, somebody besides me got to talk, and I was like, thank you for answering a prayer. (laughs) But in that, there's a single mom named Haley that uh, had the opportunity to share the gospel with. In that, there's a middle-aged man named John who is struggling that God has given up on him, that there's absolutely no hope whatsoever, that he has turned his back on God and God doesn't love him anymore. Had the opportunity to share with him. There's a senior in high school, I believe, a junior senior in high school named Shelby. Had the opportunity to talk with her. Lady named Judy that we had the opportunity to pray with. It is all because I, we, took this opportunity and turned outward instead of inward and said, hey, here is good news. Here is what God has to say. Last week we were in 1 Kings chapter 17 and I got through two of my four points Thought that it was time for you to go to lunch and me as well, so I will pick right up there. The first two points were along these lines, that God is the God of the outsider. And not only is he the God of the outsider, but that that's who he sends us to. And as Christians, hence why one of the reasons why I told you the story of the last few weeks and what's been happening and let me add to that, is because of that statement that God is the God of the outsider. Thing that I said last week that I flat love about us being at Community Kids Life, about us having the opportunity, taking the opportunity to go out into that community to share Christ on an ongoing basis is because it's not about the folks in the room, per se. It's not just about the folks that are in this room. It is about those that Jesus came and died for. And that's who he loves. And he loves more people in Hernando than are in this room or in any other church room this morning. And his plan, there is no plan B. I I am hard-headed. I understand that. I acknowledge that I am hard-headed and it is finally, hopefully, finally continuing to just be pounded upon my head that I, that Brian Tillman, that Riverbend, that you and I are to be about telling others about Jesus. And we say that, we know it theoretically, we know the verses, we've got those verses memorized. My question To you and to me, if God is the God of the outsider, how many people this week will you tell that about? Because there's other Johns, there's other Haley's, there's other Brody's, there's other Shelby's that need to hear the good news. And you are the ones, I am the one who is to tell. God is the God of of the outsider, but not only is he the God of the outsider, last week we saw that the true God is one who sometimes confuses us and sometimes he may even contradict us, and so that's where I want us to pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 17. I told you I was going to add to the story. 
I, I got so much going on in my head right now. Um, that's not a good thing sometimes. Friday night, I sat in a uh, restaurant in Corinth, Mississippi, and I heard a guy by the name of Neil Cole. Neil Cole lives in Los Angeles, and he has written a number of books on, uh, on church plants, on, on church growth. And, and Neil Cole had, uh, he said, folks, we are, we're, we're going about this all wrong. Um, we've got to get back to the basics it's not about how much you know. It's not about how much I know. It's, it's, it's how much we are doing. And he had a great PowerPoint presentation. It was pretty neat. Um, you can do that if you know how to do it. I don't know how to do it, so therefore I can't do it. But he, he said this. From the time of Adam to the year 1804, it took that long. All the Old Testament, all the time before Christ, 1,800 years after Christ, it took that long to go from one to one billion in the earth. Okay? That's a long time. From that moment till the 1920s, it took in less than, right at 100 years, a little over 100 years, it took to go from one billion to two billion. From two billion to four billion was 40 years. And from 1960... To today, we have gone from 4 billion to right at 8 billion. It, it's gone like this, and then there's been this. That's the curve. And it's not stopping. It's not stopping. He, he, he said, all right, in a 30-year span, there were three major wars. There were multiplied pandemics that killed, multiplied millions, and it did not even register on the uptick. And while the population is doing this, church is doing this, if not this. And we in America know more today than we've ever known. But we, but I, If I say I want something better, if I say there is something better, then I must live that out. I'll quit preaching and I'll start preaching. Here we go. <laughs> then the word of the Lord came to him. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah. And he said, Arise, go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me, some, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, hey, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. I have no bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son. That we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, 
the God of Israel. The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. And the jar of flour that was the, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. And we kind of just left it there and introduced these next two points, but said that's a great story. That's an awesome story that God, through a miracle, fed not only Elijah, but he fed this woman and her son and put a period on it and let's move on. Next story, next incident. But that's not God. Because the true God sometimes confuses us and sometimes he even contradicts us in our thoughts. And so after this, verse 17, the son of the woman, the mistress of this house, the one who's in charge of the house, this son became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. He died. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him in his arms, took her, took him from her arms, and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and said, set him on his bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the Lord, excuse me, and the life of the child came into him again, and he was revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber of the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Verse 24. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know. I Know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is, excuse me, the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Heavenly Father, as we uh, spend just a few moments in this passage, God, I pray that we would uh, once again be drawn to this understanding of who you are, the one true living God that you are different from all the other gods, and that there is one true God. And Father, if there is one true God, and you are Him, what are some of those attributes, what are some of those definers, so to speak, Lord, that you have given us in your word to show us who you are? So Father, I pray. God, let this passage and these words that are written in 1 Kings chapter 17. Father, may they penetrate my heart. May they penetrate our hearts. And God, might we be different, changed, because you have spoken into our hearts and into 
our lives today. That it's no longer just black ink on a white page. It's no longer just on in a in words in a book that are on a shelf or on a coffee table or that are in our vehicles. Father, it is our lives. And every single one of us, every single one of us, Father, you have us here. You have me here at this moment in time to tell others about you. Father, may we be challenged this morning. May we be encouraged about who you are, challenged. And Father, might we do the work that you've called us to. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. First point this morning out of two is this. Not only does God confuse us sometimes, not only is the true God uh, one who uh, is the God of the outsider, but the true God has power over death. The true God, the true living God has power over death. Death. This boy dies. You and I would look at it and say, Lord, what in the world are you doing? The mom says, God, what are you doing? Why, are, why has this happened? Have you saved us from starvation just so this can happen? She asked this question. She says, is it because of my sin? Is it because of my sin that my boy has died? We'll get there in just a second. You and I, looking back on this story, if you were to read 1 Kings and you were to read all those chapters prior to this, the 16 chapters prior to this, and then you read this chapter, and you read a couple of chapters later, and, and we understand what's going on, you and I know that it was not the woman's sin. It wasn't even it didn't have anything to do with the woman, really, or her son. It was a battle between the one true God and the false gods. And Bring it down one level. It was between who was Israel going to worship? Who were who, who they going to follow? Were they going to follow Ahab and Jezebel and all their gods? Or were they going to follow the one true God? That's what is going on. And God uses this incident to fortify in Elijah and in this woman, in this outsider, who and what who he is and what he's doing. The boy dies. You know, it's been said there are two certainties in life, death and taxes. And it just might be that the latter brings an end to the, excuse me, the, the former brings an end to the latter. And we're thankful for that, that after death there are no taxes, but also that the first comes about after paying all of those taxes. In this passage, we see death hit home. It hits home close to you and it hits home close to me. Every so often, I've told the story to a number of you, but uh, my mother's mother, I call her Granny, when I was uh, 10, we were at a family reunion and I thought it was going to be great that let's play a joke on my grandmother with all of her brothers and sisters in the row in front of me, I might have been 10. I was probably 16. No, I was probably 8. But anyway, when I tell you what, what I did, um, if you haven't heard it, you're going to be like, and you're a preacher? What? So here's what happened. My, my, my grandmother has 
three sisters and a couple of brothers, and they're a row ahead of us. And so we're singing. We're at a church. We're in this fellowship hall, and we're singing. And in the middle of this song, I just decided, hey, let me pull the chair out. So I pull the chair back, and we keep singing. We got two more stanzas of this hymn to sing. And at the end of the song, everybody sits down, and my grandmother, flat on her back. And there's a picture to remind me of this. Me looking over my grandmother and me laughing and her crying. She'd already had two back surgeries by this time. That's a great grandson. Yes, it is. But my mother's mother is uh, not doing well. She had a stroke um, fail uh, two weeks ago. And uh, for 10 years since I've been a pastor, she said, Hey, we got to sit down and I got to tell you what I want in my funeral. And I was like, Granny... That's 15 years from now. That's not going to happen right now, so 15 years from now, we can talk. And so now it's been 15 years, and she, when I went and saw her a couple of weeks ago, um, she said, all right, it's time for us to sit down. I said, no, 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 another 15 years. And she said, no, I want Psalm 121, and I want, I got a reservation, and I want, I said, she said, do not make me out to be a saint. I said, yes, ma'am, I will not. I will tell the truth. She's my grandmother. Of course she's a saint. But death hits home. We can smile about it, but when it literally hits you right there in front of your face, there is a huge loss. And this mom has lost her son. And she has all kinds of questions. But what you and I need to know that the one true God is the God who has power over death. The mom's boy died. He got sick and he died. She's grieving. She's mourning this death. We all die. You say, Brian, okay, what does this have to do with me today? Because you and I need to understand that there's only one God who has answered your primary need. Your primary need is, what do you do with sin? And because of sin, it brought death. For whatever reason, I have uh, just started watching a number of things about World War II. From the, uh, the trials of the Nazi war crimes, to movies, to documentaries on uh, war machines. And I, I came across this, that... One of the things that Adolf Hitler promised with his regime, one of the things that he promised in his regime was that he would do away with the need of religion and he would do away with the need for Jesus. He stated that his super race of humans would no longer need the crutches of religion. Our primary problem, the problem that you and I all have is this, that death is certain that every single one of us in this room will face death. And we need to know that there is an answer to that problem. It came into the world because of sin. In Genesis chapter 2, it states this, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day... In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
One commentator put it this way as I was reading and studying about this passage and this woman's son dying. Thus, the, as the challenges by death grow in intensity, God Himself becomes more actively involved in the life-sustaining process, no longer commanding others, but Himself taking the initiative against death and overcoming death's challenges. Death cannot thwart Yahweh's purposes. Death cannot stop the will of Almighty, living, true God. There are numerous persons throughout all of history who have stated that they are that things that they have invented would do away with man's need for God, yet they all cannot answer man's primary need. That We need to conquer death. The great Buddha stated it this way, that he was going on a trip to find himself, and he died. Joseph Smith died. Muhammad died. Confucius died. The Hindu monkey gods and the snake gods, the rain gods, the bales of hay god that we talked about last week, that was a joke, all lack in the response of death. They cannot answer that. Oh, if you would just do good, this life or in the next, these false gods believe. You will come back. And if you do good, you'll come back and you'll be elevated. If you don't do good, you'll come back like an ant and your kid will squash you. They do not answer the question of death. In our culture, in our day, there is this... What Freud stated, Freud stated he boasted that in his new theories that they would replace man's need for God. This new theory called psychotherapy would replace man's need for Jesus. The one thing that psychotherapy has been unable to deal with is man's fear of death. One might contain, one might manage. One might even deal with their stress, their guilt, the weight, their their life, their anger, their emotions. But we all have a fear of death and this theory of therapy does not touch it. You and I are desperately in the need of a Savior and this woman was in the same place. And she says, why have you allowed this to happen? Why did you save us from starving just to allow my boy to die? You ever had those questions? God, you gave me this job. Why in the world is it being taken away? God, you brought this person in my life and I see that there was fruit from it. Why in the world are they gone? God, you had this and now it's that. You gave me this, but now it's that. Why in the world would you do that? Just a question for you, okay? Just a question. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. Just a question. Could it be something greater or more than about you? Could it be something greater or more than about me? It was greater and it was something more than it was about This boy, about this mom, even about Elijah, even about their day. 
these false gods promise all kinds of things. But they never deliver. A Savior has to be able to do two things. Number one, a Savior must be willing to save. Must be willing to save. There must be a willing spirit in the Savior to save. And there are scores, there are hundreds and thousands of those that are willing to save. But not only must a Savior be willing to save, a Savior has to be able to save. You've probably all heard, probably all read, all seen story similar to what I will describe. There's a swimming pool in the backyard of this house or that house and to the family's horror they ask where in the world is little Jimmy or where in the world is little Sally and this toddler as they look over the edge into the pool this toddler is in the bottom. Just Recently, I read a story of that happening out in California and the grandmother was the one who found her little girl in the bottom of the pool and she jumped in to save the girl. She was willing to do it, but there was one problem. She too could not swim. And two hours later, they were pulling both the little toddler and the grandmother out dead. Not only... Must a Savior be willing to save? A Savior must be able to save. The question for you and the question for me is this. Do we know Him today? He is the only one who has the power over the grave. He is the only one who is not just willing but is also able to save. You and I place... We we do it so much... We don't even think that this is what we're doing. But, but we place so many objects and so many other things on the... We elevate them onto the level of Savior. We elevate money up there. We, we say, money, you're going to be our God. You're going to be my God. And you say, I don't do that. Well, let me ask a couple of questions to see if you do. Question number one. If, if we elevate this up and trust me I am all for saving I'm all for planning I'm all for having that nest egg but if that is what we're all looking for that if I can just get enough in my 401 then I can quit my job and I can live life if I just have enough I can set it aside for my kids and I can give them the life that I never had money is God maybe it's not money maybe it's beauty Probably need to say this turned around. Um, you know, ladies, we, uh, we worship the false god of beauty. You say, I don't worship the false god of beauty. I wrote this down. I'm going to try to make it through without laughing. Hopefully, y'all will laugh. But here's what I wrote. Beauty can't save you. Sure, you might be able to slow the aging process down, but you cannot stop it. You might nip it, tuck it, lift it, tat it, dye it, tighten it, tan it, tweak it, color it, mask it, whatever you want. But I'm telling you, it is going to be flimsy, it is going to get old, it's going to sag, and you will not be saved by beauty. You're welcome. 
Beauty is no savior. Yet we spend millions, if not multiplied billions every year. And all it does is leave every single one of us wanting. Just to let you know, that was not original with me. You're welcome, though. I thought you might want that. The question for you and the question for me is this. Who or what are you placing on the pedestal to save you? There is only one who can save and his name is Jesus. Fourth or second point this morning. As I close is this. The true God saves through death. Every false God. Says, hey, if you will come and you will learn this, or you will come and you will do this, if you will come and believe this, I will save you from death. But God, the true God, says, no, I'm going to save you through death. Through death, you will be saved. The one true God is the only one who saves through death. Look back at what this mom asked. And I. As I read it a moment ago, I told you we'd come back to it. After this, the son of the woman, the leader of the house, this guy became ill. And there wasn't any breath in him. In verse 18, she says this to Elijah. What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Is that why you came? Is it because of my sin that my son is dead? It it doesn't take much thinking to kind of put the pieces together of what God's trying to get across to you and me. The story and the question is, is it because of my sin that my son is dead? The answer to that is no. It's not because of your sin, ma'am, sir, that your son or your daughter is dead. It's because of your sin that you're dead. You are dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. That picture that was given this morning by Brody is that he is dead and buried in trespasses and sin, but God raised him from the dead and he walks in newness of life. Elijah says, give me the boy. No pad answers. Give me the boy. And he goes upstairs, and you and I have got to understand this. This is something weird is happening right here, okay? He takes him upstairs into the chamber. He lays him on his bed, and you're like, why in the world is this boy being laid down on this guy's bed? Think for just one second. He's putting him in his place. And then his life, Elijah, lays on top of this boy and he prays to God, God, I don't, know, I don't understand why this is happening, but please allow life to come back in this boy. And life comes back in the boy. He hands the boy back to the mom. And she says, now I know. I know. I have experienced this. That you are a man of God and that this word It's true. I got another page of notes, but let me close it this way. If you were to look up in a Hebrew dictionary, the word Zarephath. Zarephath was not a city in Israel. 
understand that. It was a city in Sidon. But if you look it up in a Hebrew dictionary, here's what you come to understand. The verb form of that word is melted. The noun form of that word is crucible. And it is at this crucible, it is at this cross that God did an absolute miracle of raising the dead back to temporary life. And I say temporary only because of this. If you go there today, this boy is no longer walking around. He got old. We don't understand when or where, but he got old and he died. He's no longer living in Zarephath today. But the picture at this crucible, at this cross, is this. That there is death, there is burial, yet through the one true living God who saves through death for you and for me, there is life. There's life. And it's just not life right now. It is life forever and ever and ever. And it is the greatest, glorious life that one could ever have. And he has not just done it for a boy. Hundreds of years before he came, he's done it for you and he's done it for me and he's done it for those Johns and those Haley's and those Shelby's and those that have never heard in Hernando and those that have never heard in India and those that have never heard all over his creation. And he's called you and he's called me to get and be about telling. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. God, I pray. I pray that as we uh, stand and sing a song that speaks... It speaks of what will be happening forever and ever and ever. That you and your son will be on the throne forever. God, it says it so, so vividly and so clearly. Father, I pray that that you, as we sing that, Father, you would allow us to see. Not just the song. But Father, you would allow us to see your son, the price that was paid for me, for us, and where he is today. Father, I pray for this invitation, Lord, that it would continue to just draw things back to the forefront of my mind and to our minds of those that we know that are in our circles, so to speak, that are far from you. God, you would place divine appointments this week for me. You would place divine appointments for every man, every woman, every boy and girl. So that we might tell others about your love for them. Sir, the invitation is for you this morning. I know that I say that every week. It is. You have an invitation to come back to the Father. You have an invitation to come to Him for the first time, ma'am. He loves you unconditionally. There's nothing that you could do to make Him love you more. There's nothing that you can do to make Him love you less. He loves you unconditionally and desires for you to come to Him. But if you come, you've got to come on His terms. Boys and girls, you've got to come on His terms. His terms are these. My Son is the only way that 
you can get to me. Jesus loved you. He took your sin on the cross. He paid the debt that you could never pay. And he desires for you to be his. If you don't know him, come and let me introduce you to him. If you're far from him, maybe you need to come to the altar and you need to pray. Maybe you need to just stay in your seat where you are and you just need to pray and you need to cry out to him because he loves you and he desires for you and he desires for me to be close and he is not the one that has moved. Father, would you work and would you bring glory and honor to your name for you alone are worthy as we stand and as we continue to worship, you respond.